into uh, the sermon for today. How many people have ever heard something like this? All publicity is good publicity, as long as they spell your name right. How about, how about this one? The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Have you heard that one? I got one more for you. There's no such thing as bad publicity except your own obituary. Has anyone heard that? We, we, we live in a day and time where people are consumed with getting their 15 minutes or 15 seconds of fame. If I can just get on TV, that, that, that's a great value for many people. You know, you almost never see a, a, a reporter doing a live report out where there's people, or if you're watching a reporter on sports at the Eagles game, you almost never see them give the report without someone behind them mugging for the camera. I just, I just want to get on TV. I just want my face to be out there. We have so many ways, and it's, it's a part of our culture. Like, being known, being seen is a great value for folks. Last week, some of you may have seen, there was a documentary. I'm not going to mention his name. A six-part docuseries about a famous R&B singer who has 25 years of allegations, and I'm going to do this in the pg way I can, pg that's a new word, but in the most PG way that I can, uh, 25 years of allegations uh, regarding his inappropriate relationships, not even, I can't even say young women, but with girls, as a grown man. And, and so this docu-series was on last week. It was a six-part Thing, and many of the girls who are now women were testifying and saying what happened and how he used his power, his fame, and his influence in order to get whatever he wanted from them. It was sick. It was sad. My wife and I watched some of it. It was bad, y'all. Now, here's the pathetic thing. After that was over for the next few days, the downloads of his music spiked. So we found out that we had someone with serious 25 years worth of allegations of being a pedophile, basically, and with that publicity, the downloads of his music spiked. That is, I don't know if anyone else feels that way. I think you do. That's sick and sad. One of the greatest commodities that we have in our culture is fame. It's more important to be famous, to be seen, to be known, than it is to be good, to be right, to have right character. And so people are looking for a way to be known some way. And we can now do that in all kinds of ways because we now all basically have access to social media. And so we can put our opinions out there, our pictures out there. Some of us can put our crazy weather videos out there. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. We can put all kind of stuff out there and get our little bit of fame in. We can do that. And, you know, there, there's something interesting here. With all the shallowness of that, there's also something going on at a deeper level. 
We, we desire to be known. We desire to be accepted. We desire to be loved. And that's not bad. It's the way we distort it and go about it that is so corrupting. And so today I want us to stand together as a church and let's look at Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 we'll be looking at today. So we're going to read the word of God together. Matthew 6 starting at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Today I want to talk on the subject living for an audience of one. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you care for your sheep. In fact, your word says that you care for us so much, we'll get there in a few weeks, that you've numbered every hair on our heads. We know that that's easier to do with some of us than with others, but God, we thank you that your love for us is so personalized. And Lord, we pray that as we hear your word today, that we will grow in our desire to please you, that you will become the greatest object of our affection and the one that we desire to please. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said... Amen. Living for an audience of one. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. I want to jump right into the text. The beginning of verse 6 says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. This is basically what he's going to talk about through much of this chapter. Be careful not to uh, exercise or practice your righteousness in front of others. In chapter 5, from basically verses 17 through the end of that chapter, what Jesus was laying out for us was this new way of righteousness. And we saw that there were six statements that he used. You've heard it said, but I say to you. 
And what he was doing was giving us the deeper insight on the heart of God and what it really means to walk in, a, in the way of righteousness. And so what he begins to do here in chapter 6 is building off of that. He's telling us that it's not only the doing of even that new understanding of righteousness that matters, but he's going to go once again to the very motives of our hearts. It's not just what you do, but he's getting to the motivation of our hearts. Doing the right thing for the wrong motive never receives God's blessing. Doing the right thing for the wrong motive. And so I'm going to look at two major points today. And the first, of all, the first one is simple. Beware of living for the praise of people. Beware of living for the praise of people. Listen, if you are devoting your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I can make this promise to you. He's not going to let you go with just dealing with how your life looks from the outside. If you are growing in discipleship and in devotion to Jesus Christ, he is going to get on the inside because he wants to glorify his name in you and through you from the inside out. God just doesn't see from the outside. God's not impressed with what he sees on the outside. We have all these ways of uh, of valuing people based on their gifts, their abilities, based on the outside, but God is always looking at the heart. One place that we see this in the scripture is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. In, in 1 Samuel 15, God had rejected Saul as the king of Israel. You remember that God gave him a task to do and he did not fulfill what God gave him to do. His heart was wrong with God and God said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. But he told the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and I want you to anoint the next king of Israel. And so the prophet goes and he goes to Jesse's home and his sons are there. And he sees the firstborn son, the oldest son. His name is Eliab. In Hebrew, that means, my God is father. That's a good name. And he sees this young man. He's tall. He's handsome. He's the firstborn. Of course, that's got to be the guy. That's what Samuel is thinking. But in verse 7, the scripture says these words. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We know that, right? Here, here's the message. God ain't looking at what you're looking at. God is looking at things from the inside. He's looking at it a different way. So he ends up with the youngest son, with this ruddy little boy that they don't even consider to be looked at. He ends up with David, who ends up being the great king of Israel. And so God is looking not at the outside. He's looking from the inside. And in these verses in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us three examples of how this works out. First of all, in giving, 
Second of all, in prayer. And thirdly, in fasting. Today, we're going to look at the first two, how that works in giving and in prayer. But let's start with the first example in giving. So here's the basic outline of how Jesus puts this. First of all, do not announce it. You're giving with trumpets in synagogues and on the streets. Why would you do that? You would do that for the purpose of being honored by others. Don't do that, he says, or else you will receive no reward from God your Father. So this, in terms of giving, this is the first example that Jesus sets out here. Don't give, don't announce it to everybody because if you do to be honored by people, you get no reward from heaven. What's going on here? Actually, what Jesus is telling us is that the giving of what they call in this verse hypocrites is not giving at all. Your giving isn't actually giving. I want you to hear this, uh, that their giving is not giving in God's eyes. They're not giving anything. They're buying something. That's what the scripture is showing us. You're not giving, you're buying. You, 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 you have a transaction in mind. Listen, let me use this example. Some of you may be going to the shop right, right after church because you're getting ready for the big game this afternoon. And, and if you go to the shop right and you buy all your stuff for the game, you know, you, you're going to do it upright and you come up with a $63 bill at, at, at the, the front and you go to the cashier and you give them your cash or you give them your card and you walk out of the store. Now, listen, you don't go with your cart full of stuff up to the cashier and say, listen, sister, I just love the way that you check me out, not, not check me out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in terms of the line, not that you were checking me out. Let's not get that twisted. But, but you just brought everything over that scanner. Beep, beep, beep. You put that stuff in the bag. You double bag for me. Hallelujah. You're just such a blessing to me. The way you did that, I just appreciate it. And see, I'm, I'm just going to give you this 10. I'm going to give you this Abe Lincoln bill. God bless you. Thank you for what you've done. You're paying her for you're giving that to her but you haven't paid for your groceries that that, that's not going to work right because there's a transaction going on and the what you need to do is pay for what you are receiving the goods that you're receiving you just don't bless her and go on with it you pay for if you want to bless her i guess you could do that too um but you've got to pay for what you've gotten what jesus is saying here is that those who are giving in order to be seen by people, in order to be honored by others, they are creating a transaction whereby when I give, I make sure that others know about it and I receive what the reward for my transaction, that is the praise of others. That is what's going on here. Now, in the middle of verse 2, The NIV says that they do this to be honored by others. The ESV translates that word praised by others. It's interesting because the same word is used in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 when he talks about people seeing your good deeds that they might glorify your Father in heaven. So in chapter 5, the word that we see here as honored or praised is the same word that's used to talk about 
glorifying your father. So in, in other words, what's going on here is that we are becoming those who want to be glorified ourselves. Paul Tripp puts it this way, we are glory thieves. We want to be glorified. Look what I did. And so when we live for the praise of people, the scripture is showing us that we are robbers of the glory that belongs to God. At the end of verse 2, he uses another word. The end of verse 2, he says, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, when they have given to the person that was asking and they made sure that other people known about it, he says, you've received your reward in full. In other words, God doesn't owe you anything else. Let me go back to my grocery store analogy. Let's say you paid for your groceries at the shop, right? But then you get home and you realize, ah, I was supposed to get a 12-pound spiral ham, and I forgot to get that. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen those. They're kind of expensive. But you go back to the shop, right? You grab your spiral ham, and you grab it, and you're walking out the door, and you say, listen, uh, I was here before. I just forgot one thing. How's that going to work for you? It's not going to work very well because that's what we call shoplifting, right? It's just because you were there before and forgot it doesn't mean that you can now get it because you have to pay for that. What God is saying is that when you have given and you've received the praises of people, there's no leftovers. You can't go back and get anything more from him. You've received all that you will receive. The transaction ends when you receive the praises of people. So let's look at the second example here. Example two, praying. Basically what he's saying is this. Don't pray standing in the synagogues and streets for the purpose of being seen by others or, again, you receive no reward from God your Father. So it's basically the same outline. This time we're just dealing with prayer. So what does living for the praises of people look like? Well, let's first look at these examples that he's already given us. Number one, what does living for the praise of people look like? It looks like, Jesus says, announcing it with trumpets when you give. Now, can you just imagine that for a moment? You are, you're hanging out on Fifth Street in Alney, and someone comes up to you and says, Brother, can you spare a dime? I'm really hurting right now. I just need to get something to eat. Do you have a couple dollars that you could help me with? That's probably happened to more than one or two of you in your time here in Philadelphia. It's a common thing. But can you imagine what happens when Jesus is saying you announce it with trumpets? So someone comes up to me and says, you know, yes, I can do that. Hang on one second. Hang on one second. I've got to call my buddy. Hey, Jim, do you still have that trumpet? Yeah. I'm down at 5th and Tabor right now. Yeah, I've got this guy here. Can you get over here real quick? Okay, great, thanks. You hang up the phone. The guy's saying, can you help me out? Yeah, I'm going to help you out. You just got to wait a little bit. My friend is on his way. So your friend gets there, and you take out your $2, and you say, here you go, Jim. When I give him the $2, make sure you blow that thing nice and loud. I have given to you. You announce it. You put it out there. Secondly, and Jesus is using hyperbole 
That wasn't a practice that was done, but the practice that was done is to make a big deal out of your giving. Secondly, praying loudly in public places. Now, there's a time, and we ought to let our light shine, right? But not in a hypocritical way to appear as though we're just holier than everyone else. Let's go back to Fifth and Alney this time. I'm at Fifth and Alney, and I'm walking across the street to one of those markets that has all the fruits and the vegetables out there. And as I'm walking across the street, I stub my toe. I am so Christian. I'm not going to say any curse words. I am so holy. I'm not going to even say anything bad. I'm just going to launch right into prayer. I stub my toe. Oh, Jesus, I thank thee that though I have stubbeth my toe, that thou has kept your angels to watch over me. And though it may be stubbeth, and though it may be black and blue, in Jesus' name, you've not allowed me, oh God. Oh, Father, thank you, Jesus. You've not allowed me to break my toe. I thank you that I'm your child. Now, what is all that? Can you just say, thank you, Jesus, for keeping me? Right? It's making a big deal out of who you are as if you have uh, this special thing that no one else has. Here's some other ways we could do that. Making sure that every good thing you do is captured on social media. I just, everything has to be out there. I got to make sure people know. Now, we can do that in real good christian ways, right? Not appearing more righteous, but just make sure it's all captured. Last one. And this one got me a few years ago. Weaving my good deeds into my conversations. My wife called me out on this a few years ago. It was so embarrassing. We had helped the person out a little bit. And it was maybe over the next couple weeks. Um, And we're, we're just, I don't know what we were talking about, just having a normal conversation. And somehow I found a way. In that conversation, yeah, you know, uh, sister so-and-so was struggling with such-and-such, and, and, you know, God allowed us to just praise God, all glory be to him, to to, to help her out, and this is what we did. All glory be to God. Yeah, we did it. I, you know, I, but all glory be to God. Um, And I guess this has happened like four or five times, and my wife finally looks at me and said, Larry. Do you realize that like every person we talk to, we could be talking about anything. Somehow it comes back to, yeah, and there was this situation and glory be to God, we helped this person out. I saw my hypocrisy in that moment. We can do that. That's what living for the praise of people looks like. Listen, living for the praise of people reveals a desperate desire for personal affirmation. And when we have that, And when you live like that, it will destroy you. And it will hurt others around you as well. People get hurt by that. So what drives us to do this? I just want to think about a couple things that can drive us to do this. Number one, and this is very personal to me, living to please your parents. Now, especially to those who our children here, it's good to want to please your parents, right? It, that's not a bad desire. It's not a wrong desire. But for many of us, we can have daddy deprivation or mommy deprivation even 
into our adult years and our older adult years in such a way that we are just trying to do anything we can to please someone in a way that just seems like it's never going to work. I am the middle of three children, three boys. Now, that may be helpful for some of you to understand who I am. I'm the middle child. Yes, I'm that one. And so I have a, a, a brother two years older, a brother two years younger, and um, my dad is 88 years old now. We have a better relationship now than we've ever had in his whole life or my whole life. I love it. I love my dad. But as I look back on our relationship over the years, there was a lot of things that were involved in it that just weren't healthy. And my father had a way of affirming me or one of my brothers in such a way that not only am I affirming you, but I'm also letting your brothers know they don't quite measure up. And now when I'm affirming your brother, I'm letting you know you don't really measure up. And then that that went right down into the grandkids. And so it's good to celebrate accomplishments, but there was this thing in my family where it was done in such a way that you would always feel like, okay, now this person's on top and no one else is quite living up to it. And what, what I saw in, in my own life was just how toxic this could become. For most of my time in ministry, I've served, you know, as Tim is serving now in the role uh, of an assistant pastor or an associate pastor. And so I wasn't the lead pastor, but my dad, he knew that, but, and, and he knew what I did, and I love counseling, and I love uh, doing Christian education, and uh, bringing in new members, and doing missions, and all the wonderful opportunities I had in what I was doing. But my dad, every time he saw me, he would ask me this question, are you preaching this Sunday? Now, he knew I don't preach every Sunday, but every time he'd ask that question, I'd say, well, no, Dad, I'm not preaching this Sunday. He'd just say, oh. And kind of what what it felt like is, oh, maybe you're not a real, real pastor then. That's what it felt like to me. Now, that may say more about me than my dad, but this is, I was looking for some affirmation, and it wasn't coming. It's a moving target. Be careful about looking for affirmation from particular people in a way, because if you need that so much, it becomes toxic in your life. The second piece that can drive us to living for the praise of people is to make up for some perceived lack in your life. So there's some area where you don't feel like you measure up. And I would say that in one way or another, that probably is every person in this room. Matter of fact, I hope it is. There's some area where you're not the perfect model of what it means to be a Christian man or a Christian woman. Whether that is... Your intellect, you're not the smartest one. Whether it's, as a younger person, I'm not as good at certain sports. Whether it's in relationships where I'm not the one who's everyone wants to come to in relationships. As you get older, whether it's in finances or, or in job, in career, in all of these things, there are areas where we don't measure up to the perfect ideal. And so we need to be careful and we need to steer clear of the idolatry of having that perfect life. 
that American ideal where everything is just so. One of the things that uh, I was scared of, I'll tell you the truth, when I came to New Life and I knew that there were nine other elders, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. I don't know. I know some of these men a little bit, but I'm going to get to know them more. But I'm just scared, all these guys, you know. And the wonderful thing that I found out as I've gotten to know them is church, New Life Church, you have some godly, godly leaders here. They care about the church. They love God and they shepherd well. And I've been so blessed. But it was a little intimidating. I mean, these guys are bright. We got lawyers and we got doctors and we got, we got just all these guys doing all this stuff. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm in trouble. And then I found out the worst thing. One of our guys is not just a doctor or a lawyer or a Ph.D. He's a rocket scientist. My son, my son moved out of our house this weekend. He moved into his little apartment, and we took apart the futon that was in my house, and we didn't pay attention to what we were doing, and we brought it over to this little apartment, and we're trying to put it back together, and, you know, like, which hole goes where? It's like, there's like three nuts and bolts. It's like the simplest thing you ever saw, but my son and I can't figure it out, and I'm thinking, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, but if it did, I know who to call. We, we live in a world where we think that there, there should be no limitations on us, right? You can do anything. You can do all things. You know, we, we even quote the scripture, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. When Paul writes that, he says, I know how to be poor with no money, and I know how to prosper, and I can do either way. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. But we, we talk about that as if life has no limits. Put, put the one up there, um, the devotional. I saw this, I came across this in a Christian devotional online. It says, God has given us life beyond measure, knowing that, wouldn't it stand to reason that our lives would be enlarged by his gift of life without limits? Hallelujah, that sounds good. Wouldn't those around us be changed as well? And so this, this devotional is talking about a life without limits. Listen, I don't know if you think you have a life without limits, but I was good in math. But when math became more letters than numbers, I started to say, what is this? I thought it was, you know, numbers and all that. And now there's all these formulas. Listen, I can say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but if I develop the rocket, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't want to be on it. You want to make sure it says Scott Ashman on the side of that rocket. If it says Larry's designed by Larry, you don't want to get on that rocket. We can't do everything. There, there's a song I love. My, my daughter, along with a, a Christian hip-hop artist and pastor, a great guy named Trip Lee, wrote this song called Limitations. And the hook on the song says this. This is the, is the way that life will be. Limitless you puts limits on me. By your grace, help us see this is your design. We're limited. We're not going to be that perfect man, that perfect woman, the one with it all together. We will lack in different areas and God makes up the difference. Listen, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble in this room today. 
But I, I want you to know that you individually are not the body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ. You might be a pancreas in the body of Christ. But you're not the body of Christ. You know, even body parts are made up by cells, right? Individually in cells, there's parts of cells. You may be the endoplasmic reticulum in a cell in the pancreas. And praise God, the endoplasmic reticulum brings proteins from one part of the cell to the other part of the cell. It's necessary, but it's not the whole deal. And so we be happy, we be blessed. We are at a place where we are comfortable with who we are and what we have to offer, offer to God. The bottom line is this. We need, when you need affirmation, whether it's from parents, whether it's from co-workers, whether it's from others in your life, you're always shooting at a moving target. And you'll never find long-term satisfaction in life as long as your goal is the praise of people. There's never enough. So that was the first point. Second point's not as long. Beware the praise of people. But number two, make sure you live to please God. Make sure you live to please God. I'm going to look at verses 3, 4, and 6. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is making sure you live, you, you live to please God is a life of unseen devotion. So look at it in verse 3. It says, do not let, if you do the next slide, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, now that's literally impossible, right? But what he's saying is you're not doing something in order to impress anyone. And then I love this in verse 6 when he says, but when you pray, go into your room. The Greek word for room there is temeon. And that is an inner room in the middle of the house that was used for storage. There had no window. It was the only room in a house in Palestine in the first century that had no access to the outside. There was no window. It was the only place in the house that had a lock on a door. So it was the only place you could go where there was no interaction with the outside world. So he says, when you pray, go there. Go there. You're praying to God. You're praying to the one who is in secret and who sees what's done in secret. You're not doing this for anyone else. Make sure you live to please God. Listen, not only in in, in this life of Christian devotion to God are we not impressing others, but we're not even impressing ourselves. Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus tells this story of this king who says to one group of people that you're blessed of my father, and he says there's an inheritance that's been prepared for you because when I was hungry, you gave me something to drink. Or when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. 
When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And those righteous folks who are hearing this say, come again? What are you talking about? I don't remember any of that. I don't remember doing that. I was just living life. And the king says, when you did it to the least of these, right? You've done it for me. So the idea here is that those who are living to bless God, who are living for the glory of God, not only aren't they living to impress others, but they're not even impressed by themselves. I'm just trying to honor God with my life. This is unseen devotion, a life that's bent on pleasing God. Disciples are people who are caught up in glorifying God and seeing his kingdom advanced, not in making a name for themselves. So here is a question for you. Does that characterize you? To what degree does that characterize you? As we grow in Christ more and more, the question is not am I making a name for myself, but is God being glorified through my life? And secondly, what's one change you could make so that that would characterize you more? How is it that you become more of a person who is bent on glorifying God than glorifying yourself? Last part of this, developing an appetite for unseen rewards. In, this, uh, in these verses you see over and over again, and I've highlighted, you do it in secret, you do it in secret. At the end, you do it in secret. I've told you what that means into your room. You're doing all these things in secret for your father, for your father, for your father, so that he will reward you. And so we grow as disciples of Christ in such a way that our desire becomes more and more to live in such a way that we'll be rewarded by God. That means that we are growing and maturing as people who are not bent on receiving immediate gratification, right? One of the most basic movements from childhood into adulthood is to learning how it is that I can live for delayed gratification. I'm going to study hard for this test instead of party in order that I can do well on the test so that I can get a good grade in the class so that I can advance in my uh, studies so that I can get into this school or whatever it may be. We learn as we move from childhood to adulthood to live in such a way that we delay gratification. And that is the value of kingdom people. My wife and I have a, have a friend, uh, a single woman, and she is like Miss Financial Peace University times 10, right? Some of you, how many Financial Peace people here? So y'all will get this. So we heard this story about her going to buy a car. And so she goes to the car dealership, and she goes, she's done all of her research, she's done everything she needs to do, and she tells the, the salesperson, I want that one. No discussion about a whole bunch of other stuff. She knew exactly what she wanted. I want that one. Okay, well, it costs such and such, and you can get this on it, or you can get that. No, I, I don't want one like that. I want that one right there. 
okay, okay, and, and, and it costs this much, and we have this sale going on, and this is happening, and you can get, you know, limited amount of money down and low finance. No, you don't understand. I want that one. I want to drive that away from here right now. Okay, fine. This is how much it is, and, and it's more than she has, but she says, no, you don't understand. I have this much money. This is what I have, and she brought the money with her. This is gangster, y'all. She brought $17,000, cash money. No, I've got the money. See, Mr. Salesman, I want that one. And it was, she had several thousand dollars less than what he wanted to sell it for. And, well, we can't do that. I'm sorry. That's fine. Close up my money, walk out the place. Hold on, hold on. I've got to talk talk to my my manager. We'll, We'll talk about this. Don't you know she walked out with that car? at a huge discount because she knew how to delay her gratification. To me, that's just a gangster move. But listen, if we are going to walk with God, we're learning to delay gratification because the reward that comes from God is like nothing else. No one else can give us what the Lord can give us. So maturing disciples desire the approval. We're living for the audience of one over everything else. Brothers and sisters, when we live more for God's well done than for our next emotional, physical, or relational high, we are maturing as disciples. When the reward that God promises in the future is more important than the good feeling that I can get right now, it means that Jesus Christ is being formed in us. So if we'll be honest, we all have areas where we need to grow in this, but God is calling us to grow. Two questions as I get ready to close today. Two questions to consider. Number one, who's the one person in this world whose praise you covet the most. I just got to have it. And then the second question is this. What's one thing that you can do to be more motivated to please God than to please that person? Listen, my wife and I, as we do marital counseling, we're always talking about what it means to love one another. But we're always going to say this. If you love that person, male or female, husband or wife, as your ultimate love over God, you're not going to do very well in marriage. Because ultimately, it is your love for God that enables you to love someone else when it gets hard and it's going to get hard. And so we need to love God first and to love God most. Hebrews 12 says this, let us run the race with endurance that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now listen what it says. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus lived for the audience of his father. He lived to please the father. And it says the joy that was set before him allowed him to endure the shame and the pain and the brokenness of the cross. 
Because on the other side, the father was pleased and the family of God was formed. Brothers and sisters, let us desire more and more that we would be people known as those who live for an audience of one. Our worship team can come up. As they do, our our prayer teams will be here in the front and back. If you desire prayer, if there's anything, there's a way that this word has touched you today, and you just want to pray about it, we're here to pray with you as we close out this service today. Let me pray, and then our worship team will lead us. Father, we thank you that we serve a good, good Father. That's who you are. And Lord, if we are your children, we can only say, thank you, Jesus. We haven't deserved it. We haven't earned it. You have, by your grace, loved us with a perfect and eternal love. Lord, I pray that you would grow in us, that we would grow up as your children to desire above all things to honor and glorify your great name. We pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name and all God's people said.